0: Welcome
1: to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is
1: Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And Robert, I, I've got a question for you. You ever find yourself in that situation where you're hanging out with people it's all good fun. Everybody's uh, – there's banter going on. One mm-hmm. person's teasing another person over something kind of funny – some funny foible of their personality. And there's that moment. There's that awful little moment where there's kind of a pause after somebody says uh, some some teasing joke. And then you realize like, oh, no, suddenly it has gotten serious.
0: Oh, yes. I mean it's especially if it, it's a, a multi-person group and – and there's a bit of piling on occurring. There'll mm-hmm. be, there, I've, I've seen this, uh, this happen where there'll, there'll be a breaking point where the person has had enough and, and, and you realize, oh, no, lines have been crossed. And now this person is going to leave and we're going to have to resolve this uh, via emails later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's a, ter- it's a terrible feeling because things have spiraled out of control. Something that was playful and, um, and just part of hanging out has now become uh, divisive email the best place to work out tense social disputes well sometimes <laughs> sometimes it, it depends it, i mean i guess it depends on what role one had in the uh, in the breakdown i've been fortunate enough to to not be like at the the epicenter of the of the breakdown <laughs> generally so um Email tends to suffice for me.
1: You know, you never have to worry that when you type a smiley emoji, that will look like a fake smile. When you actually <laughs> smile at somebody, you always got
0: to worry like, does this look real? Is my face moving right? You just have to use the authentic smiling emoji, not the inauthentic one. You know, it's all in the micro expressions of the emoji. <laughs> What's the inauthentic one? That's like colon and close brackets. Oh, no, I'm talking about the ones that actually like the little yellow face with the smile. Like you'll know it when you see it. Oh, okay. But... As everyone can realize uh, at this point, we're talking about teasing today on the show, and teasing is weird territory to try and figure out. Deceptively so, really. Yeah. Um, for many of us, looking back on our childhoods, it's it it makes up some of our worst memories of social interaction. And as a, as a parent, I have a lot of apprehension uh, about it, uh, you know, regarding my own child, the inevitable struggles uh, that he's gonna gonna face. And at the same time, there's this weird cult of the tease that is often difficult to understand. We see teasing in our media, and it's sometimes presented as f- in a fun, comical light. We also see adults for whom teasing is a standard part of their interactions—not fighting with each other, but but just picking in, in various ways that. it seems like they're just terms of endearments Mm -hmm. Uh, joking uh, benign criticism yeah and it and uh, it's often a case where i look at it and i I realize well this is clearly part of their social dynamic it wouldn't necessarily work in my social dynamic but i guess it's okay Mm -hmm. Uh, we see it factor into courtship as well uh, which also has a way of of seeming uh, weird and sour at times from an outside perspective right well i mean there's there's
1: two very different ways it can take place. There's a kind, you can see a kind of friendly, sweet teasing that takes place between people in a courtship relationship and then there's like the pickup artist version of it where somebody's clearly like making a power play. right? And then
0: likewise, we also see this uh, the space, this sort of ambiguous space where playful teasing gives over to what is clearly something based in hate and abuse, name calling uh, that occurs among children and even among Adults, obviously, even at the the highest levels of government, you see name calling used in a in a hurtful fashion. Yeah. So if you start if you start picking out, and I imagine a, a lot of you are doing this as well, thinking of all the varying levels of teasing that are going on in your immediate environment and. Um, in politics, in the media, etc., on the street as you're driving your car and listening to this podcast, you know, it's enough to make you wonder if if we're just nothing more than just cruel apes jockeying for social uh, position. Uh, and it's any wonder that we managed to um, emerge from these social interactions with self-esteem or, and respect for our fellow humans. But part of the issue here is that while all forms of teasing share common features, there are at least three distinctive forms of teasing that are often sig- uh, that are often singled out and definitely deserve mention here.
1: okay. well, what would those forms be?
0: All right, well, the first is pretty obvious, and that is that is the hurtful teasing, and mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where we all we all know it when we see it right or hear it. Uh, this is obviously the domain of bullying and harassment, and yet at the same time it's the sort of teasing you might see in a celebrity roast or uh, some of your more viciously charged uh, humor or political humor. Mm-hmm. I guess you could also say it's maybe the domain of the jester, uh, the fool and the clown. Uh, in important, These are important roles throughout human history. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I might argue that the
1: fool in the Shakespearean sense requires its own category here because mm-hmm. the fool has a lot of power and freedom and it's important power and freedom. Like they're the only member— of the lower classes who can point out the flaws of the monarchs and the upper classes and get away with it there's something about the ridiculousness of the fool that allows a critique of power that might result in a beheading if you made the same critique in a
0: serious tone and likewise a king who beheads a jester every week is a terrible king. They look weak. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes
1: the king look foolish if the king overreacts to a to a comical critique.
0: Right. Uh, I think you're pointing out, uh, Joffrey from Game of Thrones right. is this type of ruler where you, you realize, oh, he's terrible. He's totally incompetent. Look how thin-skinned he is against uh, 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 the, the humorous criticism uh, of the, 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 uh, the, the court fool. Well, it codes so easily for us. I mean, one of the clearest signs
1: of a toxic personality is somebody who's unable to accept criticism in even benign criticism or to be the butt of a joke. You know, somebody who cannot tolerate that. Right. Especially because of the positive role that teasing plays in our culture. I mean, there's so much teasing that is not hurtful, hateful. I mean, it, it is a constant feature of conversation between friends, between couples, uh, between family members, between educators and the people they educate. Uh, teasing, you know, there's like a sweet benign form of teasing
0: that's absolutely essential to these relationships. You know, I, I do have to add one more thing about the gesture first, though. Oh, okay. And there is a, there is this this uh, curious aspect of the dynamic you, you see with kind of a classic gesture situation, but also in modern political humor. Mm-hmm there are two extremes that are both equally, well maybe not equally, but they're both cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. Certainly when the king, the ruler, the politician whoever, the celebrity is too thin-skinned to let uh, a humorous bashing go where they have to call out, say uh, you know, an episode of Saturday Night Live Right, if and, you made a joke about me, how dare you? Right, yeah. That is, is cringeworthy and awful. But on the same hand, and this is something that uh, I believe it was pointed out uh, on an episode of Malcolm Gladwell's uh, revisionist History podcast, there's also this danger in what happens when the king says, yeah, this gesture guy's is great. Uh, I'm going to hang out with him and do a skit with him. Or, <laughs> or yeah, that Saturday Night Live skit is funny. I'm going to appear on that Saturday Night Live skit with the person doing an impression of me.
1: There can be uh, too much protection of one's dignity is a bad sign, but too much surrender of one's dignity also looks kind of bad. you got to find the middle ground. Yeah,
0: you you want the ruler that that ultimately has very little to do with the gesture and doesn't, politely laughs perhaps, but leaves it at that.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. Like when presidential candidates go
0: on SNL, that's all like, I don't know, it's just Always terrible, yeah, but one of the points uh, that Malcolm Gladwell made in his show is that it it takes the punch out of the political humor, yeah, like you manage in in a way it 's like it 's a genius move, I guess, for the politician because you have you have killed the the humorous skit you have cu- you have killed the power of the humor in a way that you could never do by attacking it well, yeah, I guess it it
1: doesn 't make you look great, but it also is a type of defense mechanism it mm-hmm. it undercuts. Any truly biting criticism that's hidden there in the in the comedy, if you go on stage with the comedian, yes. Oh, but before we were talking about the jester, we were uh, we were about to get into uh, playful teasing. You know, the, the the sweet form of teasing,
0: right? And obviously, there's a line between hurtful and and uh, and playful teasing. Uh, good luck finding it, especially with uh, people you're maybe not that familiar with. Uh, but yeah, especially in close relationships, you tend to see these. You know you see in jokes and you see established safe zones for playful teasing uh, for instance, uh, if my wife teases me about some nerdy hobby of mine uh, it's it's really more of a form uh, more of a term of endearment or if she Teases me about liking robot music, like like really mm-hmm. robotic sounding electronic music, and uh, and teasing me about how awful it sounds. Uh, like like this is this feels good when we're doing it. I don't uh-huh. feel hurt or defensive about uh, you know my my uh, love of Dungeons and Dragons or uh, or or my painting af- miniatures, painting miniatures, or yeah, or my affinity for uh, the music of Autech or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, all, I think almost all good romantic relationships include an element of teasing. I don't, you know, I don't want to be overly general. So maybe some people, people make it work in all kinds of ways. But uh, I rarely see what seems like a happy couple that doesn't
0: tease one another. Right. I mean, it seems like you do, and and this is something we're going to return to throughout this episode, this idea that that teasing is is an opportunity for bond forming and the Mm -hmm. the establishment and the maintaining of bonds. But obviously, you need a safe place for the teasing uh, just, you know, the, the, all of us I think are going to have, uh, unless we are some sort of like inhuman politician type, you know, we're going to have those areas that we are cool being teased about and areas that we're, we're we're less comfortable being teased about.
1: You know, thinking about several of the areas that, that teasing functions in our, our social interactions, one of which is sort of reminding people of hierarchies or establishing hierarchies, mm-hmm. that it does something of enforcing a pecking order. Number two is maybe like establishing a criticism of somebody's behavior. And number three is allowing bonding. Put these three things together, and it seems like a a key place where teasing should come into play is education, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's a place where you need a hierarchy between teacher and student. You want to teach lessons, and you also want to have a good relationship. That's right.
0: So this brings us to this third area of teasing, educative teasing, and this pops up in areas that you wouldn't quite expect it. <laughs> mm-hmm. as, as we'll discuss a little later, uh, one example is that, is that of, of frat boys giving each other nicknames mm-hmm. based on, you know, various boneheaded things they've done. Uh, and, and this can be viewed as a way of, of educating, of laying down various um, moral rules or or social expectations right, you, via
1: teasing. You, you might get nicknamed like, I don't know, toilet head because you fell asleep with your head in the toilet. Right. And, and the idea is don't do that. Don't right. drink so much that you sleep in the toilet. But then again, what, one of the things I notice about that kind of teasing is that Toilet head might originally be applied as a, a sort of like moral injunction, mm-hmm. but that toilet head may may well come to identify with the nickname and say, that's right. That's who I am. <laughs> I am toilet head forevermore and I will embrace it.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, some anthropologists <laughs> point to specific traditions of educative teasing between parents and children in various indigenous American um, Uh, cultures. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is that it's a form of teasing that can work better to impart knowledge of social rules and emotionally instilled ideas. Uh, However, we we didn't really focus on any of that for this research, but I just want to let everyone know that 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 is an area of study.
1: Now, as far as these three terms for types of teasing go, I I feel like there's some difficulty in how we use terms here because I, I admit that I would typically reserve the word teasing for the more benign or playful forms. Like what we were calling hurtful teasing, the kind that's actually cruel and mean-spirited, I would not usually call teasing. I'd probably call it bullying or right. harassment or something. Um, though it's what, what this highlights is that the line between playful teasing and hurtful bullying is not always clear. It's not always clear to – The person doing it, it's not always always clear to the person receiving it. What's sometimes meant as benign or playful by the teaser can feel like bullying to the teasee, and sometimes more benign or playful forms of teasing, I, I bet you've been there for this. I think we sort of talked about it at the beginning. It starts off as a friendly and playful session of ribbing that somehow catches this terrible momentum. I don't know what causes it, but that momentum, it edges into harder and meaner stuff as it escalates. And it's this enormously painful and uncomfortable thing to witness. And looking back, I I can remember instances of this in my life where I watched something like this happen to somebody else. And in retrospect, like I wish I'd found a way to step in in the moment and stop it. But it's so much easier to to feel that kind of policing authority in retrospect. In the moment, to step in like that and declare – teasing to have gone too far requires you to take this major risk. It feels like you're violating a taboo. You're making it weird. You you Mm -hmm. know about making it weird, right? Um, And in the moment, you're never really sure if you've like misread some kind of unspoken set of cues. Maybe everything's actually okay, and you're the one who's making people feel bad by getting serious from out of nowhere. It can be a really
0: difficult and complicated uh, dance to to navigate. All right, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going, to, we're going to really get into the question of teasing and what purpose it truly serves. All right, we're back. So one of the big names that comes up in uh, in teasing research is that of psychiatry and psychology researcher uh, Dr. Keltner, uh, who, who's written on this, uh, researched on this. And uh, one of the, the, the big pieces that uh, is often circulated is a 2008 New York Times piece titled, in defense of teasing. Uh, And he also directs the Berkeley Social Interaction Lab. So this is like right in his, uh, his area of focus.
1: Yeah, Keltner makes an interesting point, which is that a lot of our social conventions in the modern age, I think, are centered around trying to make social interactions more safe. Mm-hmm. Which, in a way, is a good thing, right? We we all know how destructive and terrible bullying can be. We've all seen the kind of teasing in a relationship, and you know, uh, somebody's somebody's got a new boyfriend, and he's teasing her, but he's like going a little hard. Mm-hmm. It do, it doesn't quite seem so sweet. And when you think about stuff like that it can be very easy to st- to to start to view teasing as this really negative thing it's this this cruel malicious force that permeates our culture and and make you want to do do things to eliminate it right well wh- how can we get people to not act like this but i feel like teasing is a situation where you really don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater
0: well you don't but you you want to protect the baby <laughs> that's yeah. the thing i mean uh, throughout this episode i kept coming i keep coming back to um my my own son and i i just want to protect him so much yeah. from these things at the same time i realize i can't protect him there from everything i can't just shadow him through school and uh you know feed him excellent uh you know comebacks uh anytime anybody is uh, is trying to to tease him he's going to be teased it's it's inevitable and he uh, it's probably inevitable too that he'll engage in teasing mm-hmm. um but at the same time it I, I it is hard for me to just really get 100% behind everything Keltner's saying about just the importance of teasing like i still my, my impulse to protect is 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 too strong
1: well i mean i i think the point he would be making is that the good kind of teasing is not actually hurtful. It's not right. actually something that needs to be protected. And against. he is not
0: advocating that that bullying should be permitted. No, he's, of he's very not. clear about that. But uh, but but it, he does make this strong strong case that that teasing is an essential part of our social interactions. And in fact, he points out that, that teasing is pervasive in the animal world.
1: Right now, we generally think of teasing as. Uh, well, you know, as a verbal phenomenon,
0: right? And I guess you do have to think of of human teasing as as a lot of things with humans uh, happens to be. You, you think of it as a, a linguistic and cultural complication of an impulse that may also be found within uh, uh, languageless animals. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, for instance, uh, Keltner says, quote, the centrality of teasing in our social evolution is suggested by just how pervasive teasing is in the animal world. Younger monkeys pull the tails of older monkeys. African hunting dogs jump all over one another, much like pad slapping, joking football players moments before kickoff. In every corner of the world, human adults play peekaboo games to stir a sulking child. Children as early as age one mimic nearby adults and teenagers prod one another to gauge romantic interest in rejecting teasing. We may be losing something vital and necessary to our identity as the most playful of species
1: i mean I, I think i 'm pretty on board with his message there it 's the The difficulty comes in. Our uncertainty about recognizing the line between benign teasing and hurtful teasing. And and I think it's because there's that ambiguity because there's always the danger that you, you're not necessarily going to be able to recognize immediately the difference between one or the other. It's exactly the same problem I was mentioning a minute ago where you like – think back on a time you saw somebody getting teased and it went over the line, but you didn't stop it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because of that ambiguity. Like you didn't know if you should step in or not. And that ambiguity makes us uncomfortable because we we know teasing that's over the line is wrong, but you can't always see the line in the moment. It would be interesting to
0: hear from from educators out there who are listening to the show on this because it, it does make one think that the message should not be, hey, kids, don't tease one another. It should maybe be more... Here are areas where it is not cool to tease. You right. Know, like it's not cool to tease someone about their physical appearance yeah, or their Innate characteristics. Yes, or their yeah. stereotypes, et cetera. Uh, but various behavioral teasing, I don't know. I mean, how do you end up teaching such nuance? Maybe you, to a certain extent you can't. It has to generate via the social interactions. Here's something I would say. Um, well, with a, with a big
1: exception for – we can talk about the jester in a second. With a big exception for the jester – Maybe one thing is that you shouldn't tease somebody unless you like them and they know
0: you like them. Mm, that's true because uh, yeah. Otherwise, the if the if the existing social dynamic is is uh, is is anything different, then you are perhaps not engaging in pure teasing.
1: No, I mean then it becomes bullying. If, yeah. When you tease somebody you don't even like or respect, obviously you're you're going to be tempted to edge over into some form of cruelty.
0: Now, speaking of cruelty, we have to think again of, of kings and, of course, the jester. Uh, Keltner uh, points out that, that uh, in the tradition of the court jester, you could say teasing is, quote, a playful, provocative mode of commentary.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, as Touchstone said in Shakespeare's As You Like It, quote, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Hmm. You know, that's hundreds of years before all the modern research on illusory confidence and Dunning-Kruger and all that. I think this reveals that a key social good of even harder edge teasing is that when it's properly applied, it can be kind of a leveling tool. Like it knocks down the wicker men of big egos and and pops the balloons of unearthedness self-confidence that we see so often in our highest levels of leadership. Uh, but of course, just as often, it's applied the other way in, in a very bad destructive way. It'll, it gets applied from the top down by the inflated ego against the less empowered I guess is sort of like a, a hierarchy enforcement mechanism. But the bottom up form, the jester driven form, I think that's a, that leveling instinct is a useful social good and a form of freedom. Teasing is an arena that allows us to experiment with language, with personality and relationships. It's sort of An open-ended game that we can use to manage relationships and learn about each other.
0: Now, Keltner also turns to the work of uh, linguistic anthropologist uh, Penelope Brown and cognitive anthropologist Steven uh, Levinson. Uh, who uh, I believe we've we've touched on both of their uh, work uh, before Mm -hmm. uh, on the podcast. Uh, But uh, their work uh, that he's referencing here is more specifically aligned with the study of politeness. Uh, But of interest uh, here is their focus on two forms of communication, like basically breaking down communication into two forms. And we're talking mostly about linguistic uh, communication here, but on the re- on record communication and off record communication. Okay, so tell me the difference. Okay, so on record communication is just literal direct speech. You take it literally; it's meant to, meant to be taken literally. It's clear and it's direct. This is the kind of speech you would want from your doctor or your lawyer or whatever. Right. If you if someone were to come up to you on the street and uh, and say, "Hey, you've got something on your face." Um, like, that's clear. Like, hey, I think there's some food on your face. You need. You might want to get that off. Like, they're, they're not playing around. They're just letting you know. It might be socially awkward, but they are being direct in their communication. Mm-hmm. They're they're not they're not joking they're not being vague about it off the record is veiled meaning metaphor alternative meaning so this if someone were to come up on your street and be like hey um, you got a little something right there uh, hey if you if you if they were kind of kind of beat around the bush a little bit you know you might it, want to take a look in a mirror bro right yeah that kind of thing where it can it, it's off the record and it can be in a way that is meant to uh to to make the 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 uh the message softer or it can go the reverse right it can it can make it harder you could be straight up mocking somebody on the street for the the little bit of uh lunch they still have uh, you know c- caught in their beard yeah it seems the key to the off
1: record communication is is some form of ambiguity and one reason is that off record communication Is sometimes risky, right? People want deniability if their message is not well received. Off record communication is the kind of communication where you can say, I was just kidding. Right. On record communication, you cannot plausibly say I was just kidding. And you've all been there when somebody delivered on record communication and then tried to I was just kidding afterwards. It right. doesn't work. Yeah, People there's no
0: like, there's generally no room for uh for retreat except to like physically retreat. Yeah. So the point here is that in modern human interactions, you don't always want to be direct. On-record communication doesn't always work for the same reasons that it's not practical to always be 100% truthful. White lies are sometimes required or lies of omission. Uh, And so it's it's sometimes necessary to communicate via off-record communication, to say something and signal some other meaning. As annoying as it can be at times, obviously, we can all think to situations where someone is not direct with us and we wish they were direct. Oh, yeah. I mean pretty much everything we're talking about
1: today that has a, a possible good, social good, a, mm-hmm. you know, a useful social role also can be used for evil. I mean, every shifty, dishonest guy, you know, uses a lot of off record communication and right. always wants to be able to kind of weasel around about
0: what he said or what he meant. And so Kellner argues that teasing is quote just such an act of off-record communication. Provocative commentary is shrouded in linguistic acts called off-record markers uh, that suggest that commentary should not be taken literally. So there's some sort of a uh th- there's some sort of a wink there,
1: right? But I don't think this should cause us to sort uh communication into like on-record, which is important, and off record, which is not important.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, to your point, it may be very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just might be socially delicate, right. or you don't want to overstep the boundaries of your established relationship with someone. And it may be essential to uh, to 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 to, to uh, provide that wink to let them know via you know some sort of hand signal or some alteration of your voice or even the use of rhyme uh, or the, the mimicking of. Uh, of, of of some other individual, it could be key to letting them know I'm I'm using off record communication here, even even though what I'm about to tell you is important.
1: Well, yeah, it on record communication and off record communication, I would say, are respectively analogous to work and play, and play is very important. Mm-hmm. Play is where we learn how to work.
0: Ultimately, it allows us to send messages in a in a masked way, or at least a kind of a like a, a lubricated way mm-hmm. socially. Uh, this this may be a terrible example, but but one that I, I have observed before. If you've ever seen, uh, say, an individual come out of a public restroom, and uh, and they say. Uh, whoo, do not go in there, or give you some sort of like joking warning. <laughs> that's a good one, man. It, it tends, it, it, are, it definitely, I, I would say, definitely works better than just if they were to look you square in the eyes and say, do not go in there. Though that's sort of give like give it five minutes, you know, like then <laughs> that's
1: self deprecating.
0: Yeah, but it's also, it's like awkward for both parties. But if, right. it, but if there's a joke there, like then it's kind of like, ah, I'm kind of making fun of myself, and I'm also kind of making fun of, fun of you, uh, but I'm also providing definite information that you should be aware of regarding the um the the aromatic state of this bathroom you're about to enter. Well,
1: to to incorporate teasing, I can see how in that situation teasing of somebody else could actually be used to diffuse tension mm. and make them feel less bad. So like say you have to go into a bathroom after somebody else and it smells bad and the other person knows that. Mm-hmm. They've been in there and you know they're probably feeling embarrassed. You might be able to say something that's like a tease of them that indicates that they shouldn't actually be you know you can both laugh about it, right. Which actually feels better than just leaving it leaving it unsaid and the person feeling awkward and embarrassed, right. So I'm not necessarily advocating uh, making fun of people's body smells. You've got
0: to judge the situation case by case. Keltner says, quote, in teasing, we become actors, taking on playful identities to manage the inevitable conflicts of living in social groups, mm-hmm. which is as kind of crude as this example we just laid out is. It, I mean, it, it, that is an example of, of what we're talking about here. I mean, That is the inevitable conflict of living in social groups, of going to restaurants and sharing restrooms. Uh-huh. And they also may, may allow us, Keltner argues, to engage in the sort of social conflict, Contests that may uh, prove physical and deadly in other species, and indeed, we see plenty of non-human species that have evolved drama- dramatized status contests that don't involve combat. You know, uh, some sort of like feathery display, or or even a display of something that might otherwise be used for for combat, but some me- some means of of engaging in social contests that doesn't. Uh, actually require two individuals to to fight until one backs off.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this is the kind I would call teasing. I guess there might be elements you call – this gets up against when exactly I would actually use the word again. But Mm -hmm. it's clearly – yeah, it's clearly part of human culture that we use words and like insults and humor and stuff like that to manage uh hierarchy navigation. You're trying to take down the person above you and you can do it with a witty comment. But stuff like that isn't always isn't always in this playful sweet realm of teasing. I mean, that kind of stuff can actually be pretty biting.
0: Right, but but the argument here is that even in playful teasing, there is this potential for uh uh, for establishment of a pecking order, and that's just another way that teasing and uh, requires us to walk a fine line, right? Yeah, uh, enhancing social connection while also establishing a pecking order—like it, it sounds—it's one of those things that when you when you boil it down, um, like imagine like setting out to do that consciously, like all right, I've got to, I need to walk into the office today, and I need to, I need to tear everybody down just the appropriate amount. So that we all feel a little closer, but also that it's so that everybody thinks that I'm superior or that I have uh, the appropriate place in the, the social dynamics of the office. You're describing management
1: strategy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably. Probably so. No, no, no. That's not fair.
1: But yeah, I mean, I unfortunately, I think there are some people who are that deliberate and that calculating about the kind of stuff they say in a workplace they're not just talking to you about whatever they're thinking about. They're making a comment to you in front of an audience based on how it will
0: benefit them. Hmm. Now we mentioned frat uh, frat brothers earlier, uh, Keltner observed that among frat brothers in one study, teasing nicknames seem to be quote more morality plays uh based on misdeeds that they were encouraged to move beyond and among teens, uh teasing is a vital part of a uh, flirtation, a way of testing out uh others and looking for genuine signs of interest
1: yeah and as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I feel like th- this can easily go two ways: there is a very sweet kind of teasing. That take that takes place in courtship, and then there's definitely a gross form of it that's some kind of social leverage trick,
0: right? And then there's also something problematic too about like if you establish this rule that like oh they're teasing you because they like you, mm-hmm. like then that, that and that may be the case. I mean that it often is the it, case. It, often it is clearly case. is. But if you but then it goes too far if you establish it then as this excuse for for problematic teasing, you right? Know? Like, oh, that's just boys being boys or girls being girls. Then, uh, you know, is it or are we using that to cover up something that should be um, policed in some fashion?
1: Well, often we are. This is yet another case where it would be great if we could always clearly see what the line is and people's discomfort comes in because
0: sometimes it's not clear where the line is. Now, on the subject of of Teasing among committed partners, uh, he points out that there is a language to it. Uh, you know, there are all these little in-jokes. And he points to, uh, to studies that have shown that married couples with a rich vocabulary of, you know, various teasing nicknames and, and, uh, and formulaic insults, they tend to be happier and more satisfied. yeah. And That's he, the sweet kind, yeah. And he also adds that uh, it may help diffuse arguments over really explosive issues, and that the the terminology of the teasing, as well, is often drawn from the same metaphors we use for for love. Right? Uh, they they have to do, for instance, with uh, with food or small animals. Right? Like referring to somebody as like a
1: dumpling or a muffin mm-hmm. or something like that, or a, or a bunny.
0: Yes. Though apparently it, it, it does depend on the language here. I, I remember. Speaking uh, with uh, 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 an an individual uh, of uh, of Thai descent Mm -hmm. and about how the use of uh, of pig or piggy uh, or, or, you know, it's Thai equivalent uh, was a term of endearment, especially for young children. Mm -hmm. Whereas in in English, the the term maybe has a a bit more um, like spite to it if you Mm -hmm. were to call someone a pig or a piggy. Uh, So a term of endearment in one language or culture is not necessarily going to translate equally into another language. Oh, but I can actually see, like, even
1: in English, a great novel where you establish a character's relationship. Where, like, a, a wife calls her husband "little piggy" or mm-hmm. something. That seems that that's good. That's good
0: character right there. Yeah. Now, there's a ton of material out there on teasing, and we can't possibly touch on all of it here today. Uh, after all, it does seem to be a major aspect of human social dynamics, and the legacy of childhood teasing uh, seems to be quite long. A lot of studies look at childhood teasing and, and the, the, the ramifications of it uh, for adults. Yeah, a lot of what I saw was just study after study looking at
1: whether, child, whether children perceived teasing as harmful or not, and generally they did.
0: Now one, one of the problems here is that it does come down to that perception mm. how is the instance of teasing perceived and and in, in here we see this, uh, this, this this case where an instance of teasing might well be perceived by one party as being playful and another party as being harmful I mean going back to our initial example uh, you know in, in like group social dynamics where someone goes over the line. Yeah. I mean, in most of the most of the cases is the person's not thinking I'm going over the line. I'm going for it. I'm going to go for the hurt point here. Well, sometimes they are. I mean, it, there there are clearly different
1: categories here. There's like very often teasing is going to be perceived as good-natured by the person doing the teasing mm-hmm. and as mean and hurtful by the person receiving the teasing. But also th- there there are two different versions of what's going on in the perpetrator's mind. You've definitely seen cases where somebody who genuinely meant no harm accidentally hurt somebody's feelings with teasing. And then you see cases where people try to cover their butts afterwards. Right? Like they,
0: clearly they let some, you know, hurtful inclination yes. go reveal itself too much. They were being mean.
1: But then afterwards they can be – they can retreat. It's off-record communication. So they can be like, oh, I was just kidding. I didn't mean any harm. Don't, you know, don't get upset. I, I, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. But they kind of did, right?
0: Yeah, I was looking at a paper here, a 2000 paper titled, I was only kidding victims and perpetrators perceptions of teasing by Robin M. Kowalski. And he points out that via a 72 person study, uh, it found that perspectives might reflect uh, the views of perpetrators and victims. The teaser remembers it more as fun and focused on behavior. And the person being teased remembers it more as hurtful and potentially focusing on their appearance. Yeah, that's another thing. So
1: one area in which teasing, I think, is just never acceptable. I mean, you just never want to go there. Is teasing about innate characteristics, mm-hmm. not not like about what somebody just did, but about what they look like, about their body, about fundamental personality issues.
0: Well, it comes like back that. to like the educative aspect of teasing. Like yeah. you can, you if it's if it's if there's something educative about it it's like you should be doing this differently or you should have done this differently but i mean p- you know people f- for the for the vast most part cannot do anything about their their physical appearance you know uh, but but i've kn- i'm sure you've seen this where people tease somebody
1: and it edges into teasing about innate characteristics and when they get called out they try to retreat to to like Pretending they were just reacting to behavior
0: or mm, something. Yes.
1: You know? no, 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 no. I didn't mean that. I meant
0: this other thing. Yeah. Or they're kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought we were just being mean. And so I was going to be mean too. I didn't realize <laughs> that we were being playful. Or that we were critiquing things they had choices about. Now this this leads me to a question that I've I've had in, in my mind for a little while here, and that is do certain people invite more playful and potentially hurtful teasing than others? And if so, what are the factors so uh, i've observed this in social situations in the past i'm sure uh, a number of our listeners have as well in social dynamics some individuals seem to attract more teasing attention than others and and why is that i think based on some of what we've discussed here so far we could we could really uh, point to various causes uh, apparent social status attractiveness and desirability but also difference outsider status really any area that would seem to invite invite off-the-record linguistic attention.
1: Right. Well, because teasing has so many different uses and meanings, there are a lot of different ways that it can be attracted. I mean, Mm -hmm. one thing that you can see is that obviously – In hurtful teasing, you know, the kind of cruel – the thing I wouldn't usually call teasing, cruel, Mm -hmm. mean-spirited bullying, I think the people who attract that are people who look like easy targets, people Mm -hmm. who are lower status in the community where they're being teased, people who have less power to respond. I mean bullies pick on people they perceive to have a weakness. Right. Right. Now, when it comes to the jester type of uh, of teasing, I think obviously there the people who are going to be attracting it or are going to be prominent high status people and high status people also tend to invite the, the, the a different kind of teasing that 's not even really teasing, but uh, Keltner talked about it in his article when he talked about how uh, frat brothers give each other nicknames there's a kind of teasing as praise. That frat pledges show toward the senior brothers of the fraternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's structured like teasing, but it's really more of a veiled compliment. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you've seen this before where like people will be obsequious by pretending to rib somebody above them, but in a way that's not actually for anything bad they did, but really is more for something good
0: about them. Yeah, yeah. You do see examples of this uh, uh, from time to time. Almost kind of getting into the idea of like hot shaming somebody, right? Like making fun of them for being – attractive yes. or making fun of them for being successful or something of that in that regard.
1: I mean, obviously, in the fraternity context, a lot of this is going to be like pretending to rib an older frat brother for his, you know, drinking ability or his sexual prowess or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really in that context perceived as an insult, but they structure it like one. It's a strange phenomenon. But but to come back to other people who who seem to invite it, I, I think one thing that is common to most forms of uh, more barbed teasing is that it's invited by people who do not appear to have a very well-developed sense of humor or people who appear to take themselves very seriously
0: – I'm sure you've observed this, right, Robert? Yes, I've definitely seen this uh, in play, uh, you know, in various uh, work environments over over the years, uh, where yeah, the person who takes themselves very seriously just it it, it, it almost requires you to to. Take them down a peg, yeah. If, if not, if, if not they even, can't laugh at themselves, right? I mean, and, and this is something that's not necessarily going to take place like face to face. Obviously, like like if you have a say, you have a boss that is just really self involved. Mm-hmm. You you cannot help but make fun of them with a coworker, right? You know, regardless if, if you if you ever do anything or say anything that you know that that, that, that individual is ever going to hear, you still have to at least joke about them uh, uh, with your other coworkers,
1: right? And as Keltner points out, the dynamics of teasing tend to change dramatically around 11 or 12 around th- that kind of age which is about the age that he says kids most often learn to hold contradictory ideas about the world in their head at the same time these you know that's the The idea of negative capability, Mm -hmm. uh, the the thing that allows the ironic stance. And this allows them to see subtleties of teasing and participate in it, especially on the receiving end in a more graceful way uh, without interpreting all of it as bullying and bad. You know, that's one big difference is that when you're an adult – it becomes you you learn how to take a joke usually you, mm-hmm. you know like you learn how to be the butt of a of a good-natured piece of criticism i mean as long as it's not like really cruel uh, to be the butt of a good-natured piece of criticism or, or uh, teasing and to not get too upset about it. But kids don't have this ability. They are not good at this at all.
0: Kids take themselves very seriously. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we will discuss teasing uh, in bonding. All right. We're back. So one of the funny things I discovered in
1: this episode is there's this entire academic journal called Discourse Studies, uh, all, all kinds of research about the ways people communicate. And they have this amazing way of like mapping out conversations in a way that includes all this information about Tone and about gestures and laughter and and Mm -hmm. how different kinds of laughter sound. It it looks like computer code. It's like conversations translated into COBOL. You you should look (laughs) this up if you get a chance. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, But I was just looking at uh, one study from Discourse Studies in that was published this year in 2018 called Getting to Know You, Teasing as an Invitation to Intimacy in Initial Interactions by Michael Haw and Danielle Pillett-Shore. And so they write about how before the study, teasing was often assumed to take place mostly or exclusively between people who have previously uh, – who have previous relationships, who have some degree of intimacy. But this article examined conversations between unfamiliar people who were becoming acquainted, and I I thought this was interesting. They found that teasing does play a role, uh, and the role it seems to play in this kind of conversation and the getting-to-know-you conversation is a sort of experiment, is testing the new acquaintance's willingness – to become more intimate. Because I definitely know this feeling. I, I Like you're at a party or whatever, you know, any place you got to meet new people. And you're talking to somebody new for the first time. And for a while in that first conversation, you don't know if this conversation will sort of escalate into a relationship and a point of familiarity where you might start to think of this person as a friend or if you're just exchanging pleasantries until you can move on. Right, yes. Yeah, so you, you, you never know.
0: Some, sometimes you think it's going to go one way and it goes the other.
1: And this study found that teasing plays an important role in this, in getting to know people as a bid for increased intimacy. So the researchers taped and studied 30 initial interactions – 24 of which, 24 out of the 30, featured one or more sequence of teasing. And the teases were produced by and directed at both male and female speakers of varying ages. And this is fascinating. The researchers discovered that there was a clear pattern to the teasing exchange in the initial conversations. So first, something teasable would happen. There's a triggering action by the tease target that affords the tease. And then second, there's the tease, a, a quote, a teasing action directed at the tease target. And then third, there's affiliation, a mutual ratification of the non-seriousness of the tease And the authors write, quote, given teasing is one way of criticizing another, it constitutes a potential breach of tact or interactional propriety. In initial interactions, however, participants can construe this potential impropriety as an invitation to intimacy as it involves the proposal of a shared ironic stance that may be either accepted or declined by the target of the tease. So teasing in initial interactions, teasing while first getting to know somebody can essentially be an off-record invitation to escalate the interaction and open up possibilities of friendship. It's a sort of ambiguous off-record way of saying, will you play with me? Hmm. And, of course, uh, reading through these, you know, these, like, COBOL conversations, you see that a lot of the signaling both ways here is relegated to nonverbal signals. There's intonation, uh, facial expressions, laughter. And, you know, one thing I was thinking about is how sometimes a teasing interaction doesn't even necessarily involve words. Like, think about this situation. Somebody says something teasable – and all you really need to do for a subtle tease is to respond with a certain facial expression or type of laughter. And the teased person has the option of either joining you and and laughing along with you or rejecting the bid to join you in the river of irony and staying on dry land. At which point you realize like, oh, OK, this conversation or this relationship is not going to a friendly place. Or that
0: this is not the – this is not the safe sp- – point for teasing yeah you know? i mean th- th- it, it, it's very possible i think we can all think to situations like this where you're kind of doing this playful teasing and then you realize oh maybe this individual is very serious about this particular aspect of their personality or the world like they do not they're they're not game for say uh you know political based humor or teasing yeah but they may be open in other areas and that is also ultimately part of the social dynamic right sure. figuring out like what is the shape of my relationship with this person? uh, And what is the shape of this relationship going to be? What are the avenues for bonding and teasing that can take
1: place? Yeah, I was reading another article about teasing as bonding and it, uh, it talked about how one of the main features of teasing is the creation of distinct alliances between participants in a conversation. Of course, you know, we, we see this happen all the time. Teasing is going on and it forms factions in a conversation. People can either join in with the teasing and now they're on a team together mm-hmm. Or they can like resist or they can – you know, it, it's often a form of like joining people together against an isolated recipient. And this can take very cruel forms of course. This, this is where it can very easily turn into bullying where in-group members strengthen bonds by teasing somebody uh, from the out-group or somebody new. But I've also noticed that this form of teasing as alliance formation can be really positive. It can have really uh, really sweet forms here's one very specific benign way i've seen happen a lot in my life it's when there's someone who's uncomfortable or unfamiliar in a social group, say a person's over at your house for the first time and they've never been there before that you know they're not one of this this social in group yet, and a member of that social in group tries to make the new person feel comfortable and welcome by inviting them to participate in teasing of another member of the in-group. Like uh, a very common version of this is I see um, a wife trying to make somebody feel welcome in her home by inviting that guest to join in with her in teasing her husband.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can think of examples where where my wife has done this, where essentially what she's saying is like, this is my husband. Uh, he here is this nerdy thing he likes. It's okay to tease him about it because it is part of uh, our dynamic, and you can share to a certain extent in this dynamic as well. Ha 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 ha. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's an inviting thing, and it may, it it also tells that person it's safe here. Yeah. It says you're not going to get your head cut off for mocking the king.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Beheading always a sign that a, <laughs> that a that a that a dinner party is going terribly wrong. It's it's a demonstration that there is no Joffrey in this house. Right. <laughs>
1: But it's also a form of social bonding and alliance formation. Mm-hmm. It allows the person to feel like they are, at, you know, the, at the crucial – at the bullseye of the in-group right now. Though then again, because because teasing has all this inbuilt uh, ambiguity and risk there, there, there's always the risk of seeing something like that edge into actual mean-spiritedness in a couple.
0: You, I hadn't really thought about this before, but I was thinking in my, my own house, a lot of teasing – Linguistic teasing, uh, mind you, is is aimed at our cat, mm-hmm. and our, our son engages in, in, in this as well. You know, we we treat the the cat obviously like a like a queen. You know, she has a, even has a pedestal that she lays upon, and you know, she has it made in the shade. And you all literally. like the cat, we, yeah, we we love the cat. Uh, But at the same time, we have all sorts of ridiculous names for the cat. We're always going, oh, what is the cat doing now? We're essentially teasing the cat. And it is a very safe zone for linguistic teasing, Mm -hmm. you know, because the cat doesn't care. The cat doesn't know what we're saying. Well, you
1: know why cats are great to tease? It's because they take themselves very seriously.
0: They do. They, they, are very, they do take themselves very seriously, uh, whereas there is, there is certainly more of a, a, an air of the jester to the dog. Mm-hmm. Though we make fun of our dog, too, and he deserves it because he's very funny. <laughs> but it does make me wonder to what extent pets then, you know, they, they are enabling this avenue of bonding. Uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, that involves teasing.
1: I think in this world where we're trying to be sensitive and socially conscious and not, and not hurt people unnecessarily, but at the same time, but where we also recognize the absolutely necessary value of positive teasing, if we need like a theory, we need like a theory of teasing to guide our teasing so, so that we, we always understand where it's going and we don't accidentally pilot it into the rocks of, of, of bullying.
0: I agree. Uh, I, I wonder if we need uh, like posters, you know, sort of like uh, military propaganda posters that, that are instructing us about <laughs> teasing, like what is good teasing? What is bad teasing? What is teasing accomplish? What should we tolerate? What should we not tolerate?
1: Yeah, I don't know exactly what the best rules of the road are. I mean, I know some things you should not do, mm-hmm. but it would be good to have positive rules as well. How do you know you're on the right track when you're teasing somebody? Yeah, for the most part we're all just
0: winging it, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I mean, you're trying to you're trying to re- read read the reaction. Like if mm-hmm. it's good-natured teasing, if it's between people who are friends or in a relationship, they're teasing each other, they you know, you're reading their their facial expressions and all that and you can generally tell if things are going well, but it's harder to tell for some people than others, and it's harder to tell in some situations than others.
0: All right, we're going to go ahead and close it out there, but obviously this is a topic that everyone is going to have uh, uh, some contribution for. I mean, everyone has experience with teasing or being teased, both as children, as adolescents, as adults, and uh, and we'd love to hear how you take some of the uh, ideas we've discussed here to uh, to dissect uh, teasing that has occurred in your life or you see occurring uh, around you we 'll tell you how to reach out to us here in a minute, but uh, first of all, stuff to blow your mind dot com that of course is the mothership that 's where you can always go to find past episodes of the show uh, you 'll also find links out to our various social media accounts you 'll find a link to our store. Our our fabulous little store uh, where you can buy uh, our our logo on T-shirts, stickers for your laptops and street signs. Have you
1: got a 10-year-old Dave Matthews Band sticker on the back of your car that you've been looking to cover up?
0: Put our sticker over it. Yeah. Or just put our sticker next to it. Uh, I would love to see a picture of that. I want to know uh, who we're sharing bumpers with, who we're sharing laptops uh, with. Uh, we've seen a few of these photos already, and it's it's really really fun. So yeah, the the store tab is at the top of our web page. Uh, check it out. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, but another way, great way to support the show is simply to rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so.
1: Big thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producers Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us directly. With feedback on this episode or any other, or just to uh, say hi, let us know where you listen from, or, uh, you know, anything else, uh, just to suggest a topic for us to cover in the future, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. I'm going to do